0: The following resource is from LMPC.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lnpcorg give. A reading from Luke chapter 11 verses 14 through 28. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking for a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, How will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning and welcome again to Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. My name is Will Nettleton. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to just add my welcome to Frank's. We're really glad to have you with us uh, this morning. We are continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. And just kind of by way of reminder and context, two weeks ago, we looked at a passage where Jesus invited Martha to join Mary and learn at his feet. And last week, we looked at a passage where Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And then Luke puts this account that we just had read for us right after all of that. And it raises a question Why should any of these people who are listening to Jesus actually follow him? Why should any of these people in these stories actually follow Jesus? Why should Martha sit at his feet? Why should these disciples pray the way he says? I mean, what even gives him the right to form this band of followers, to shape their lives with his instruction And our passage this morning actually provides the answer, or at least part of it. What gives Jesus the right is that he has come with the power and authority of God. Jesus has come with the power and authority of God himself. And they know that. They know he's come from God because of the work that he is doing, the signs that he is doing. As Jesus phrases it in verse 20, the kingdom of God... Has come upon them. Jesus is here to defeat evil, to do battle, and to win. And our passage is one of those that makes us, as modern enlightened Westerners, deeply uncomfortable. I wonder what your response was, even as Margot read it for us, right? There's a lot of talk about demons and Satan and unclean spirits. And we do not have a lot of space for that, right, in our worldview. The idea of the devil has become something of a joke to us, right? Later this week, we are all going to consume deviled eggs, right? how they get that name? So sinfully delicious, depending on who's making them, right? What is that that we would call them that, that it would become such a joke to us? It's important to remember that the Bible does not share our modern, purely materialistic worldview. The Bible does not share our modern, purely materialistic worldview. The Bible frames the reality of evil in our world as something with personal, malevolent force behind it. There is someone, something behind much of the evil we see in our world. And as our passage highlights, Jesus has come to defeat him. Jesus has come to do battle with him and to win. And these signs that Jesus has done demand a response. He says to those listening, you are either with me or you're against me. You're either with me or you are against me. Pick a side. But in picking a side, as the woman cries out at the end of the passage, they're going to find more than just a side. They're going to find a blessing in the family of God. You can see our outline in front of you in your bulletin there. Jesus' matchless power signals the arrival of God's kingdom, which one, leaves no room for neutrality. We're going to see that in verses 14 through 23. Requires more than merely cleaning up our lives. We'll see that in verses 24 through 26. And then finally brings true blessing to those who hear and obey him in verses 27 and 28. That's our roadmap this morning. That's where we're going. Let me pause. We'll ask God to bless our time in his word together. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We know that it is no empty word. We know that we don't live by bread alone, but on every one that comes from your mouth. And so we have gathered this morning, Lord, as the sheep of your pasture to be fed. Jesus, you said that you are our good shepherd and your sheep know your voice. So I pray that you would help us to know it, to hear it, and to follow it this morning. We long to not only be hearers but doers, Lord. Would you help us by your Spirit? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our Redeemer. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is now that time of year, even as it is cold in here this morning. Um, the leaves have mostly fallen off the trees. So many leaves. It's too many leaves, especially in my yard. So many leaves. We're having our annual debate about how early is too early to put up Christmas decorations. I'm on team, it's still too early. Still a little too early. You got one more week. We're right on that threshold between fall and winter. There are signs all around us that things are changing, right? Just like they do every year. There are signs that we know once we see them, change is coming. A transition is coming. I was having dinner uh, in Huntsville on Friday night with some of my pastor friends. We're all in our mid-30s. And one of them, as the conversation was going on, we were just going around the table kind of talking about the miseries of our life at this point. And one of them was just like, are y'all's backs starting to hurt? And there was just this rumble around the table as everyone was just like, yes, what is that? Like, where did that come from? Our bodies are changing, right? It's happening. Change is coming. These signs that we've been warned about, we know a transition is coming upon us. In our passage, Jesus does this marvelous, powerful sign in verse 14. Luke tells us he casts out a demon that kept a man from being able to speak. It's a sign. But what everyone begins to ask around him is, Yeah, but like a sign of what? What does this sign really mean? And so the debate begins in verse 15. Some are saying he cast out demons by Beelzebul. The Jewish people at this point, Beelzebul is just simply another name for Satan, right? The devil, the great enemy of God in Scripture. In fact, Jesus is going to use the names Satan and Beelzebul interchangeably in our passage. That's one perspective on this. He's doing it because he works for Satan. It's all a trick. Satan's letting him cast out demons to fool even more of us because he's really a false messiah. Others in the crowd are skeptical, They're asking Jesus for more signs, a little more evidence to help them decide what they think, which side they're really on. And you begin to wonder, like, what would it really take for some of these people, right? You, the signs that Jesus has done have been significant and they want even more And finally, Jesus picks up on that there's a debate happening, and he wades in in verse 17. It says, he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus begins to respond. He deals with this idea that somehow he is secretly working for Satan as he casts out demons. And he asks them, "Why? that makes no sense. Why would he have me casting out demons? I mean, maybe you could imagine a scenario where, like, if this were true, if Jesus really were working for in uh, cahoots with Satan, as it were, that maybe Jesus could cast out a demon or two, right, to gain credibility and lead people astray as a false messiah. But Jesus, if you've been following along in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been casting out a lot of demons. This is a very long con, if that's in fact what it is right? Satan is deeply in the red at this point, if that's all this is, is some kind of ruse. Because Jesus has been casting out demon after demon after demon, pushing back evil everywhere that he has found it. His whole ministry has been defined by this. And so Jesus's point is that makes no sense. That would be unsustainable for the kingdom of darkness. That kingdom could not stand. And then Jesus gives the alternate explanation. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. I'm doing these signs because God has sent me with his power and with his authority. I've been sent to push back this kingdom of darkness, to bring healing, and to bring victory. Jesus goes on to use an illustration in verses 21 and 22, of this strong man sitting in a castle, and he's got lots of guards protecting him and all of his things, as safe as he can possibly be. And he's safe, Jesus says, unless somebody stronger comes along. And Jesus' point is, Satan's the guy in the castle, and someone stronger is here. Someone stronger is here. And then the payoff for all of this comes in verse 23, when Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus makes clear that he is not on Satan's side, he is on God's side. His signs make that clear. And he asks the audience, in effect, so whose side are you on? Who will you be with? Do you want to be on the side of death and destruction and sickness and chaos? Or are you with me? Do you want to see sickness and sorrow and pain and death defeated? Where do you want to be? And Jesus makes it really clear, doesn't he? There is no way to be neutral. Everyone picks a side. There are no Switzerland's in this war. You are either with him or you are against him. Now, I know that many of you are uh, tired of Lord of the Ring stories and sermons. I know that. I share your frustration. We do it too much. We really need to read more books. <laughs> but sometimes it does fit. And so I'm going to do it this morning. Promising you that I will not do it again until 2023, okay? <laughs> if you let me get away with it this time, I will leave you alone for a month. Some of you remember from the books, right? There's a character named Treebeard. He's one of the Ents, the shepherds of the trees. And you know the story. There's a great war going on. And as he and his people are reluctant to pick a side, he has this great line He says, I'm not altogether on anybody's side because nobody is altogether on my side. Not on anyone's because no one is on mine. And of course, eventually, the Ents do decide to join the good guys in the war. And he says, it is likely enough, my friends, that we are going to our doom. The last march of the Ents. But if we stayed at home and did nothing, doom would find us anyway. Sooner or later. That thought has long been growing in our hearts and that is why we are marching now. He realizes there is no sitting on the sideline. And Jesus makes a similar point. He tells the crowd, you are with me or you are against me. There is no being neutral on Jesus. C.S. Lewis, another person we quote probably too much, has a great line in Mere Christianity where he talks about the day that we will meet Jesus, either when we die or when he returns. And he says, that will not be the time for choosing It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it or not. Whether we realized it or not. That is a powerful line. Everyone picks a side, whether they realize it or not. There is no sitting this out. To not decide, in fact, is to decide. So it's worth asking this morning. Do you know which side you are on? You chose to be on Jesus' side, to see darkness beaten back. The darkness in you, the darkness in this world. Or are you against him? Jesus says that his signs demand a response. We have to choose who we will serve. In verses 24 through 26, Jesus then goes on to use this somewhat cryptic illustration about an unclean spirit that leaves a person. And while it's gone, the person cleans up their life, they put it in order. But then the spirit comes back with seven others and goes back into the person, and the person is worse off than before. Why in the world is Jesus including this bizarre illustration here? I think that Jesus is still trying to drive home the cost of assuming that neutrality... Is possible. In this, in this metaphor, the, this illustration he uses, the person, this spirit, the unclean spirit leaves. And Jesus says the person then cleans up their house, that house being a metaphor for them, their life, their heart. But this person, Jesus says, makes no effort to guard themselves against the evil spirit's return. Unlike the strong man that Jesus has just mentioned in the last illustration, this person, for this person, there are no guards. There's no armor. There's no locking the door. There's no filling the house with something else. Instead, they have an empty house cleaned up and ready to be occupied by someone. And the evil spirit and his friends are all too happy to oblige. I think, in the context of the passage and in the context of the exorcisms that Jesus has been doing, his point is that those exorcisms are not enough on their own. It's not enough to empty out the house. Something else has got to fill it, or evil will be back. Sin will return. I think this is Jesus' way of repeating you are either with me or you are against me. Your life will be filled with something. And if you know that your life has been filled with all of the wrong things, it is not going to be enough to simply get your house in order, to simply modify your behavior, to pick up some new habits. Something else is going to have to fill your life. You've removed something from the throne of your life. Someone else is going to have to sit there. Someone's going to have to be there to guard your life against anyone and anything that would try to take you back. It's not explicit in this passage, so I don't want to make too much of it, but the rest of the New Testament, I think, makes this very clear that if you believe in Jesus, right, who is that going to be? It will be the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, that those of us who follow Jesus, who have placed our faith in him, who are united to him, have the Spirit come and indwell us as he makes us a new creation. I asked you earlier, do you know which side you're on? Another way of driving at that question do you know what is filling your life right now? Do you know what is filling your life right now? Is it God? Or is it something else? Have you seen the ugliness and the death inside of you and asked God to come in and change you? Or have you just been trying to clean up? Just try to clean up and hope for the best. Jesus offers you something better. It's what the man at the beginning of the passage got. Luke tells the story so quickly that it's almost easy to miss the beauty of what's happening a man who could not talk got his voice back. Is that not amazing? Can you imagine being this man before he met Jesus? I mean, not able to talk in a culture where the primary means of communication is verbal. Literacy is a privilege, right? Writing materials are expensive. In effect, this man has no voice in more ways than one. And Jesus comes along and gives it back. As we talk about which side you're on, I know for some of you that can almost sound like militaristic, right? Like we're we're ready to suit up with Jesus and take on the bad guys. But I want us to see that this is the war that Jesus is 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 waging. This is the battle that He is fighting. That He has come to give voice to the voiceless. That He has come to defeat the evil that has taken our lives away and brought in death and destruction. I mean, think about everything we see Jesus doing in the Gospels. Giving the blind their sight. Healing those who can't walk. Raising people from the dead. He is beating back the effects of death and the fall everywhere he finds them. He's bringing light and life to everyone he encounters. And he invites us to follow him in it. That's what he's asking. When he asks us to choose a side... Do you want to see the world made right? While all this is going on, this brings us lastly to the woman who cries out in verses 27 and 28. She is so overwhelmed by the beauty of what Jesus is doing and saying that she cries out. Look back at those verses with me. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. She sees what Jesus is doing and says, essentially, it must be so good to be your mom. Right? Like good southern woman right here. Your mama must be so proud of you. But you get what she means, right? What a joy it must be to be close to you. To have that intimate connection to you. And when Jesus responds to her, our English translations almost make it sound like he's correcting her. Like, no, 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 that's not correct. But that's actually not the sense of what Jesus is saying. Jesus' point is far more yes and than yeah, but. He's saying to her, you want to experience the blessing that my mother experienced by being close to me? You can have it. Hear the word and keep it. Hear the word and keep it. You can have the same blessing that she did. In fact, we know from the beginning of Luke's gospel that that's exactly how Mary experienced so much blessing. When the angel came and told her that she would bear Jesus, do you remember what she said? Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. I heard someone say it. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary heard God's word and she kept it. And she was blessed beyond just being Jesus' birth mother. She was a different kind of family with him. And as we follow Jesus, as we choose his side, as God comes and fills our lives where death and sin and destruction were before, and as we hear and keep his word, Jesus promises us that same blessing. We experience the blessing of being in the family, of being in his family. Thomas Goodwin is a 17th century Puritan pastor, and he wrote about the story. One day he was walking down the street, and he saw a father and a son walking along together. He was behind them a few paces. And suddenly, the dad, as dads often do, picked up the son, right, swept him into his arms, hugged him and kissed him, told him that he loved him. A scene that many of us have probably seen in grocery stores, in the park, you've seen it all over, right? Dads loving and doting on their son. And Goodwin asks the question, was the little boy more a son in the father's arms than he was down on the street? Objectively, right, the answer to that has to be no, there's no difference. He was just as much a son in his arms as he was on the street before. But subjectively to the boy and experientially, there was all the difference in the world. In his father's arms, he was experiencing his sonship. He was experiencing it in its fullness in that moment. This woman in Luke 11 is crying out and praising the blessing of being in Jesus's family. And his response is, you can be. You can have it. You can have it too. You can experience the blessed life, the life that you were made for. So, following Jesus is not merely choosing a side and a war. It is that, but it is more than that. It is being folded into the very family of God. Have you experienced that? Have you been folded into the family of God? I invite you to this morning. If you have, can I invite you to experience it again? To hear and keep the word of God and experience the blessing that our Lord Jesus promises us. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we may call you, Father, that Jesus, our great elder brother, has brought us to you, into your family. Thank you that we are children of God now, and that one day we are going to see Jesus face to face. And for those of us who follow Him, we will be like Him because we see Him as we as He is. Jesus, there is so much darkness and brokenness in this world. We thank you that you came to do war, that you came to beat it back. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come quickly to finish it all, to bring us into that glorious kingdom where we will experience the blessing Of being in your family forever. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.